0: Let's go before Lord Jesus, we come before you and we say, hallelujah, you are our savior. And Lord, in these nations and these countries and these men and these women and these children that know you, that believe in you, that their identity is you and you alone. Lord Jesus, we ask in this day where they don't have the freedom we have, Lord, that they would experience the fullness of freedom that you have declared for them, in them, and through them. Lord, I pray that you would use that which the nations have closed doors to, Lord, that they would realize that the hidden things will become revealed. And you will make yourself known and you would encourage those believers in Christ to be the light that you have called them to be on this day. So, Lord, we thank you for this freedom we have. Lord, it is glorious. It is incredible that we can declare with abandon exclamation points this morning but Lord may that not be forfeited because of something that's in our heart that doesn't scream as loud may we not say with our lips what we do not believe in our heart so on this day we allow you and desire for you to stand firm and strong as not only the savior of this world but the savior of our life in the name of Jesus we pray Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As we, we start this morning, we're finishing up a really incredible section of, of scripture. We started in chapter four, where four parables that Jesus taught, that he taught them and basically the response of the people went, what? <laughs> they didn't quite get it. And especially on that first parable, he in detail explained what the parable meant But the people still didn't get it because he was something new. His truth that he was saying was not an educational truth. It was a divine truth. So it would be over time that that would be explained more and more, not simply from his words, but from his very Life. And those four parables were followed immediately by four miracles. And inside of those four miracles, we've discovered some really great things. Two weeks ago, um, we discovered this truth that Jesus is our peace in the storm. And what an incredible truth to know that on those waters of Galilee, Jesus sat in that boat with his disciples and with simply saying, peace, be still, that nature obeyed him. Why did nature obey him? Because he was the creator of. <laughs> the creation obeys its creator. And that's exactly what happened. Last week, we were able to see this truth. Jesus is our freedom from every captivity. With Jesus saying to the legions of demons that filled a man. When he said, come out of the man, you unclean spirits!" spirit. The man walked away in a newfound freedom found in Jesus. This week... We're looking at the next two miracles. And these are unique because of what, how Mark introduces these miracles. The, the past two miracles were just kind of on their own. They were standing on their own. These last miracles, these miracles three and four become an incredibly unique one because it's called actually something that I love the name of this this will be something I promise you will not forget and it involves zero Greek words all right it's called a Markin sandwich don't you love that especially in light of today when we leave here we get to have barbecue sandwiches so you will you have application direct application after this what a Markin sandwich is let me let me kind of explain it in Mobile Alabama terms all right. So when we would go up, um, Amy and I would go up to go see a University of Alabama football game. There is a a classic, historic barbecue restaurant called Dreamland. And when you go to Dreamland, you go there for one thing, and that is that barbecue sandwich. Their sandwich is two pieces of white bread and has unbelievable. Smoked barbecue in between. Amy and I don't go there for the two pieces of white bread. (laughs) We go there for the barbecue sandwich. But that barbecue makes those two pieces of white bread taste like I have never tasted two pieces of white bread. And together it... Forms an incredible sandwich. That's much like what, not, not really, but it's kind of like what Mark is doing. Because he starts a story. Then what it feels like is he interrupts with a separate story. And then he comes back and finishes the first story. And inside of this, that is what we're in today. Two miracles. He's going to start a miracle. Then he's going to introduce a new one. And then he's coming back to the first one. That sandwich allows us, it's important to know that because we need to focus on the meat. It is that middle story that's going to shine light on the truth that Mark is writing about. It's that middle story that brings to the surface all the flavor, all the aroma, all the goodness of the truth's that is wanting to be discovered, and so today we're going to tackle that, and we're going to embrace that, and enjoy a Markan sandwich. All right. So I want to invite um, Richard and Anne-Marie to come up, and they're going to lead us in reading God's word this morning. It's Mark chapter four, I mean chapter five, verses twenty-one through forty-three.
1: And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him.
2: And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years.
1: Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Thank you.
0: Can it start to surface itself how that middle section is not a simple interruption. It's the main event. It is from this section that we can learn the incredibly deep and rich truths that are before us. It's this woman's story that shines a bright light on how faith in Jesus is our hope of salvation. These are real people. Oftentimes when we're in God's word, it's just another story. No, These are these are real people. So let's meet these real people. Let's start. It gives us some incredible information so we can get to know them before we can understand even more of their story. The first one we want to meet is what is like one of the main characters in the story in that middle section. It's the woman. The woman who touched his garment. In Mark five, twenty-five through seven. It's an interesting thing because this is where I get really nerdy and geeky. It's the longest sentence in the Gospel of Mark. This woman. The longest sentence in the Gospel of Mark. And it's made and it's created and written in an incredibly unique way. It is made of seven participle phrases. For those who know what participle means, you're welcome. For those that don't, just concentrate on seven phrases. Seven phrases. When I say the number seven, what does that mean to you? Perfection. Complete. So every one of the seven, I'm reading that in terms of going fully complete. And it starts with the first one. Who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She was considered ritually unclean. Completely unclean unclean meaning she was isolated for relationships for 12 years she was excluded from religious activity of any sort for 12 years second phrase who had suffered much under many physicians her story would have been known Among the community. As she went from physician to physician to physician. Trying desperately to find a hope. But hope seemed to be gone. And no doubt that this woman would have been taken advantage of greatly. More and more knowing there was no cure for it. They still welcomed her in her door. And took her money and her resources. Time after time after time. Third phrase. Who spent all she had she invested everything and tried every possibility for her salvation from this tormenting affliction but to no avail and it wasn't just that phrase number four who was no better phrase number five who had gotten worse For 12 years, every day of every week of every month of every year, her pain and her torment increased, not decreased. It wasn't about pain management because right when she got to the pain management part, it upped itself in her life that much more. Number six, who had heard the reports of Jesus. Good seed scattered up. And it had been sown by the good sower. She hears about Jesus. And her ears heard about Jesus. That word here there is not about um, understanding. It was simply about hearing. So the question is, would she hear now in faith? Number seven, who came up behind him in the crowd. Yes, because what does faith do? Faith follows Jesus, right? Faith follows Jesus, and that's exactly what she did, and we're going to unpack that more. But the most significant description is not held in those seven things. I think the most significant description of who this woman is, is how she's identified throughout the entire story. That she is simply called a woman. She is a nameless woman. She was only known, not by her given name, but by, as we describe her, the woman with the issue of blood. I would think that after 12 years, that's how she even saw herself. And in the complete contrast of that, we're introduced as well to another character. He is a man, and he does have a name, and his name is Jairus. It tells us two things about Jairus as we meet him. He is a real person that was a synagogue ruler, so being a synagogue ruler tells us a few things that I don't want to get in the woods in this. But just a few things that's important. That Jairus, unlike this woman, would have been well-known. He would have been well-received. He would have been the centerpiece of the community. If you can think of Jairus as even the town mayor. That's Jairus. He would have lived a life unlike this woman in complete contrast. He, his life would have been a privilege of honor honor. And responsibility. But his greater role in the story is not this. The greater role that is given inside the story is a desperate father who has a little girl of 12 years of age that is dying. He was at a place that his resources and his connections could not go anywhere to the help of the thing that mattered most to him, and that was his daughter. So for people that came from complete opposite ends of the spectrum of society, like we would even have in this very room, what did they have in common? They had in common what we have in common. They needed, like we need, a savior. Both were desperate for him to save them from their overwhelming fear of death itself. This woman was desperate for Jesus to save her from literally life departing out of her every single day for the past 12 years. She was experiencing a daily, perpetual dying that would never die. Jairus was desperate for Jesus to breathe life into his 12-year-old girl who was on the bed dying. But what they didn't realize is that 12 years later, when their joy began and their sorrow began, 12 years later, on this very day... Designed by God's sovereign grace, that two people from opposite ends of their community both would end in the same place, and that was falling at Jesus' feet and experiencing his life giving power. Their hearts were good soil where the good seed could be received and was about to bear forth good fruit. These two people were real people coming to Jesus in real faith. So let's look at the real faith of these two people. Here's my first belief statement for the morning. It says this, real faith, trust in the person, word, and work of Jesus. That's what real faith does. Jesus is the only hope for this woman. She only had one plan. And that plan was Jesus. She had no plan B. She had no if then demands. She had no control issues. All she had was a full surrender to the one who could save her. It says this in Mark 5 27 and 28. She had heard the reports about Jesus and, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. What did she do? She came up behind him in the crowd. In that statement, she is breaking every rule that had been given to her. Remember isolation and exclusion because of her issue and being unclean? If she were to approach and to touch, that made you unclean as well inside of that culture in that day. But she approached anyway. She broke that rule and that required isolation. Why? Because faith runs to. It doesn't run away from Jesus. Faith presses in to Jesus. It doesn't pull back. And then it says this interesting thing, that she touched his garment. The Gospel of Luke tells the story and it says, touch the fringe of his garment. I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that's there for a very important reason. And I believe that we can miss that important reason if we don't sit with it for just a minute. I believe that she didn't just touch the hem of a passion play styled robe. Or a old rugged bathrobe. I believe she touched something very specific. This is called a tallit. This is a prayer shawl. You can buy these on the lake shore of Galilee. All right. Yeah, that was funny. All right. So this is a prayer shawl. This prayer shawl is... Unique in several ways, and you can get them in so many different forms and fashion. But if you will notice, do you see the four hanging segments on the corners, the four corners? I just spent a whole hour in connection class talking about that, so we're not doing that. Because you're going to need to enjoy barbecue today, all right? Um, but this is called, each of these or called, there's four of them, they're exactly the same. They're called... Tizits. T Z I T T Z I T. We're called tizits. When we see it, it looks foreign, it looks cultural, it looks religious, it looks like it doesn't have any meaning to us. But it does. Because this wasn't man's idea, this was God's idea. Now, the form of it and what it looks like. Became, became man saying to God, we understand what you're asking of us. So there's some parts of this that's man's idea, but the presence of it is God's idea. And I wanna show you in scripture where, where that is. It's in Numbers, thir- Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. This is after, the context is important, because this is after um, the children of Israel went out to spy the land. The promised land. They sent 12 spies. And 10 of them came back and went. There is no way we can do that. And they didn't go to the promised land. And that unbelief was present. That is what's happening right before this. And God gives this instruction. He goes. The Lord said to Moses. Speak to the people of Israel. And tell them to make tassels. On the corners of their garments. Throughout their generations. and, And to put a cord of blue On the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to your God. I am the Lord your God. So can you see what he's giving them? He is giving them a tangible reminder not to walk in unbelief. They've just come out of that and he's saying, no, I need you to wear this around you so that you will be reminded of what? He wants to remind them that they would remember and that they would do all the commandments and they would be holy to their God. I think that is what she's reaching out and she is touching because it represents something. It represents something of her life that she can't fulfill. She can't be holy to her God because she's unclean. And she can't do the commandments because she is completely removed from society. But the difference maker is that She's not just touching a tassel. She's touching the tassel of the one wearing the tassel. That last sentence says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. I think she's touching that thing and saying, Lord, will you bring me again out of Egypt? (laughs) My own prison for 12 years. You did it for us. Will you do it for me? And I believe that you, Jesus, are the son of God. I believe that you are the one that can. And so I believe. I believe this woman is at the point of fully trusting. Because she is at the end of everything. And she is at that point of fully trusting with everything that she has in the person and in the word and in the work of Jesus as the son of God. Which leads us to the second belief statement. Real faith believes Christ is the hope of salvation. Both this woman and Jairus hope for the same thing. To be made well. Look at those verses. They say that the woman said in her heart in Mark five twenty-eight, For she said, if I touch even his garment. I will be made well. Jairus pleads with Jesus. Mark 5, 23. He, Jairus, implored him, Jesus earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her so that she may be made well and live. That phrase, be made well, is actually one Greek word. And that, you knew, you had to have a Greek word today, all right? And that Greek word is a really easy one. It's sosa. And that word means to save, to deliver, to rescue. This phrase is what they are appealing to Jesus as, as Savior. They are not asking, like we often do, for Jesus to fix a problem or improve a situation. They are far beyond that. They are pleading with Jesus to give them something that only He can give, and that is life where there is death. They are laying down their lives before Him, and they're asking for resurrection power. That is real faith. They are saying, Jesus, please save me. I don't want you to improve me. I don't I want something brand new. Save me. Jesus, give me life because I am dead without you. That same Greek word is throughout the New Testament. One, just one powerful use of that word is in Romans 10. I think it even relates to this passage. Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, say it with me. Will be saved. Listen, faith is only as valuable as the ability of its Savior. And I think we need to be reminded of this because this becomes a very slippery slope thing and we're there before we even know it. Faith is not its own Savior. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is not its own Savior it requires a savior so in the life that you are in right now in the day that you're in right now what is your 12-year thing right now are you are you placing your faith in faith one way you can know that is listen to how you're praying is jesus becoming your servant that's not faith Faith is Jesus' servant. Jesus is not faith's servant. Because we need to be reminded salvation comes by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Say that with me. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. There is only one Savior and his name is not Carrie. His name is Jesus. And he is the Savior that has the only one that has the authority and the power to save. That leads us to the third belief statement. Real faith grows in the waiting. We love that word, don't we? Waiting. For Jairus, he and his family basically were just, it seems... We're just waiting maybe for hours, maybe days. But this lady, this woman, she is waiting 12 years. And you, like me, when I see or sense a delay, I need to not believe the lie, but I need to believe the truth. And the truth is this. That what seems like a delay for us is God's sovereign timing for our good and his glory. I love a verse in this passage that I did not see until yesterday. Because it is so small. It seems so insignificant. But it is Mark 5 verse 24. And it simply says this. And he went with him. It begs the question, who went with who? Well, I'll tell you. After Jairus falls on his knees and implores with Jesus to save his daughter's life, what did Jairus do next? He went with him. What does faith do? It follows Jesus. Jairus followed Jesus, And so when it feels like Jesus is delaying his answer or work, do what Jairus did. (laughs) Follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knew what Jairus' faith needed. And he knows what your faith needs. Remember that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith, not you. You don't get to hold the pen and script your journey of faith. Do you know what you get to do? You get to turn the page and read what's there. That's what you get to do. Look at Jairus. Look what Jesus did for Jairus' faith. Jairus needed to see and learn from the faith of this woman who touched the hem of his garment. Jairus needed to rest. He needed to rest. He has a dying daughter. He needed to learn a lesson that we need to learn. And it's the hardest lesson maybe of all. And that is that we need to rest in the patience of faith. And not live in the panic of fear. Rest. In the patience of faith. Faith. If there is panic going on. It is not faith. You might be using words. You might be quoting scripture. You might be doing all that kind of stuff. But if in your heart. You are panicked. And you are saying. It has to happen now. So Jesus can just catch up with me. That is fear. That is not faith. Faith rests. And it rests with a patient confidence. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it's true. Jairus's ears, listen, Jairus's ears needed to hear Jesus say to that woman. He needed to hear him say this. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jairus' eyes needed to see Jesus do what no one else could have done and could do. But what happened was, in that situation going on, do you think Jairus' faith was decreasing or increasing? I would even say it's not increasing, it's multiplying itself in his heart. When word comes back to Jairus, which is right after this moment, that his daughter is dead, his heart now is ready to hear. The soil is good, the seed is about to be planted, and he is ready to receive it and embrace it. When Jesus looks at him after he has just heard, Your daughter has died, Jesus looks at him and says, Jairus, do not fear only believe this is what I know that in the waiting hearing his word becomes the heart's only desire in that waiting faith has the opportunity to refine my heart to go this phrase that I repeat often Lord I don't care what you say. I just need you to say. I release every expectation for what you do say. I just need you to say. Number two, in the waiting, hidden things are revealed. Those hidden things can be fears that are layers of our heart. That the Lord uses the waiting to expose those fears so that they don't reside and they don't seed themselves in such a way that bad fruit grows. But it also reveals the author and the finisher of faith. He is fully known. He is fully identified. He is fully followed because we now know who we are following. And three is that in the waiting we rest and God works. I don't know about you, but it takes me some time to get there. That's not a first response for me. I want to work. Why do I want to work? I want to work not even for the good of the situation. I just want it done. Because most situations that we're waiting on are hard. If it were good, if it was pleasant, if it was incredible, we would go, Lord, I'll wait all day. Waiting in the hard is hard but necessary. Do I really trust God to be the Savior? Or do I really believe that he needs my help? The last one is faith begins in the waiting. Faith begins as a mustard seed and grows to its fullest maturity. We can trust him to do that in our heart. And a big overarching statement is this: real people like me and you, and like Jairus and like this woman, real people need real faith. Why? So they can know the real Jesus, which leads us to the last belief statement of the morning, and it says this: Jesus is the giver of life. With one touch of the hem of his garment. Of the tizzits, the woman's 12 year journey ended. In that one moment, the blood stopped flowing, death stopped exiting her body. Why? Because life entered her body from the life giver. And after healing this woman, Jairus, Peter, James, and John, what did they do? They followed, because that's what we do. That's what faith does. It followed Jesus to Jairus' home. And upon arriving at Jairus' home, a most interesting thing happens. Jesus removes all of the unbelief from the home. There were professional mourners in that day. I think they, are, they exist today as well. Their role was to mourn. They would be paid to mourn. And they would mourn and they would wail. And in this moment, it is all out of complete unbelief. Jesus removes all unbelief. And the only that enter inside of this space with this this girl that is dead is the mom and the dad and the three disciples. But this time, it would be Jesus who reaches out. And touches. And Jesus went to Jairus' daughter and he took her hand and said, little girl, I say to you, arise. Then it says, immediately. We're very used to that word in the book of Mark, right? You get two back to back. Immediately she got up. Why did she immediately get up? Because death has no power when Jesus commands life. None. In your life, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was a moment just like this that he said, arise. All the dead things of your heart arise. Let the dead be dead. Let life be life in you. His blood flowing in and through you. And immediately they were overcome with amazement. Why? Because Jesus is the life giver. But I want to spend this last few minutes on a thought that overwhelmed me yesterday. I was at the gym. I was listening to an audio, audible book that was, had absolutely nothing to do with this passage. And in the midst of at-the-gym audio book the Lord captured my heart and my attention on this thought. So I had to stop the gym and stop the audiobook and sit with the Lord. And it was this it was this question Jesus knows all things, right? He knows all things. And then it hit me. He knew this woman's name because he knows all things, but he never said it. In this moment, most primed for her to receive the long-awaited identity, the long-awaited dignity and respect among her community, Jesus doesn't say it. He chose something greater. He chose a greater dignity and honor to her than her earthly name could ever give her. What does he call her? Say it with me. He calls her daughter. In contrast to Jairus being the earthly father of this 12-year-old girl that he loved greatly, Jesus is calling this woman the greater name, daughter. In that name and in that title, he is claiming her eternally as his own. She is receiving in that moment the gifts and the blessings that can only come from him, for they are only his to give. As his daughter, it is the Prince of Peace that commands her to go now and always be in peace. It is the great physician that commands her in that moment to be now and always healed of your affliction. It is by grace, through faith, and in Christ that 12 years of misery and shame in that moment were transformed into a glorious eternity with him. 12 years versus eternity. And eternity for her started that day. From that day throughout all of eternity, she would be called the daughter of the great I am. It begs a question, and I hope that your heart is asking this question before you hear my my lips ask the question. I hope the Holy Spirit of God is asking you this question: Has He called you son or daughter? Have you fallen at His feet in need of a Savior? Have you gotten to the end of yourself where you have no plan B? You have released every if-then statement. You have released control. And you say to him, I die unless you save. That is why he came. He came to seek And to save the lost, I would pray that today would be a day that you would say yes to Jesus. That at his feet you would say, Lord, make me well. And he will do it. Why? Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, say it with me, will be saved. And the last question I have is for all the sons and daughters in here. (laughs) Is faith real in your life? Or do you have just a lot of verses, a lot of ideas that you say with your lip, but really when hard becomes hard, it exposes things in your life that scare you actually because it doesn't match what you've been saying Let me remind you that real faith trusts in the person, word, and work of Christ. Real faith believes Christ is the only hope of your salvation. And real faith grows in the waiting. And that real faith will introduce you to the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus is the giver of life. Because he is life itself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and so grateful that we can come and say, hallelujah, what a savior. I pray those words that we say with our lips have reached the crevices and the depths of our hearts. That a new song would be sung every single day of hallelujah, what a savior. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for us being able to see very clearly how this woman and this man represents our own lives. And more than simply a, an, a, an earthly death, or there is a spiritual death that has occurred that only you can heal, only you can say arise to and give life. And what we would desire today, that maybe someone in here for the first time would say, Lord Jesus... I want you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for who you are. You're so good. You are so good. And out of that goodness, Lord, and us recognizing that, Lord, we just want to sing to you. We want to declare how good you are and how worthy you are. We want to let you take your centered place in this room of our heart and say all glory, all honor, all praise unto you
1: and you alone.